welcome to Know Your Flow podcast, where women in flow share what they know. I'm your host, Lauren Barton. Join me as we talk to women and hear their stories on what they know, how they've grown, and living in flow. All right. Today we have a very special guest with us. We have Kara, my sister. Hi, Kara. Hi. So today we're going to talk all about the Enneagram. Enneagram being E-N-N-E-A-G-R-A-M. So Enneagram because we were pretty obsessed with it and we're not experts, but we kind of know a lot about it. We were definitely obsessed. Around what time do you think that was? Like 2019? Yeah, I'd say like 2019, we were really very obsessed. We could not talk to anyone without talking to them about it. We wanted them to learn about themselves. But we were also low-key trying to figure out what number they were. Right, which you're not supposed to do. No, 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 don't. That's, you're not supposed it's to not do that. It's not a weapon. No. It's a, tool. <laughs> it's a tool. But we were learning and we didn't know. And now we know better, so we do better. Yep, know better, do better. But I don't know if you explained this in your intro, but Enya means number, gram means picture, so Enneagram, and it's going to look like a figure, it's like a circle with nine numbers. Because Enya means technically nine. Oh no, nine, yes, sorry, yes, nine. Nine, and gram actually I think means figure, not picture. A figure of nine is what it is. Mm-hmm. It picture a circle with nine numbers or Google it. But I don't think there are many of your listeners that haven't heard of the Enneagram. You'd be surprised. I think more people haven't heard about it than you think. But why would we want, why would someone want to know about it? Because it will really help you for sure. It'll like definitely change the way that you see things and the way that you see the world and the way that you see other people. And I mean, I remember how we got into it. And so I was... We were talking about this the other day. I, it was like 2019. I was still like teaching for Davines. And I was coming back from Roanoke and I was listening to this podcast. It was like Jamie Ivey's podcast with Suzanne Stabile. And I remember I pictured Suzanne Stabile looking way more hippie-ish than she was. But when I Googled, oh, yeah. I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah, because it was kind of woo-woo. And she they call her the Enneagram godmother. And she kind of, yeah, she looks like the cutest grandma. And if that would be your starting point, would be anybody who doesn't know of her should Google her. Totally. And so I was listening to that and then I called you and was like, dude, I just listened to the Enneagram. But when you and I were talking about this the other day, it was so funny because we both got really into it. But a lot of times I'll call you and tell you woo-woo stuff and you don't get into it. (laughs) You'll listen, but you're like, I don't care. I'll listen. And I'm like, that's really good for you. And that's neat that you're learning something new. Yeah, um, exactly. Uh, anyway, yeah, <laughs> I'm going to go about my life now. But this we both got really into. Why do you think that you picked up on this one as opposed to like other things like astrology or I don't know, whatever? Well, and I told you this the other day. I think the reason that I got into it was, well, two reasons. Number one, I was seeing a lot of it during a time when I followed a lot of female Christian influencers, and it felt safe because they were endorsing it. Not that it's not safe. I don't want to say it's a personality test, but it's kind of like learning your personality, learning why you do the things that you do. So it felt safe. It felt like something that would be okay for me to get into. That wasn't like new agey or stuff like that. It wasn't new agey. Right. Like, um, but I think I was starting to exhaust all my other tools that I had been using to get through life and cope. And I was, um, and it was right before turning 40, which is a time when I think, think a lot of people do some soul searching, maybe re-examining where you are. So that was really helpful because it gave language to what I already knew about myself, but I didn't have the language for it. It felt like, yeah, we already know this. It didn't feel like, oh, wow, this is hard to comprehend because whatever. It felt like, oh, this is all the pieces that we already know. It felt very familiar. Yeah, you do know these things about yourself, but maybe you haven't named them and you've never done any work around them. 
you think, oh, that's just how I am. Yeah, and that is how you are. And there's nothing wrong with that sometimes, but sometimes it's not balanced. And sometimes you do need to do some work around it. Also knowing that we're all, sounds kind of like, duh, but we're all very different and we're all different in our motivations. And that that's what the Enneagram teaches. It's not just the way you act or behave. It's what motivates you. So that was really helpful in a time when I had been very much trying to be a certain way that I don't think I was capable of being. A certain mold. With a Christian background. With a Christian background. And and I just didn't have that in my makeup. Yeah. To be the helper. Yeah. The helper would be, if you don't know, that's the number two on the Enneagram. The helper is like a model of what a good Christian woman would be. And it's I mean, it's wonderful, but when you're trying to pull that up in yourself and it's not there, you end up, or I did, always feeling like less than, and maybe it's because I wasn't Krish enough. I wasn't reading my Bible enough. I wasn't praying enough, but it really was that I saw the world differently and I was motivated differently than other people. And that, once you realize that, is a gift. Because then you can be the best version of yourself. Of your own self and in your own and be more in alignment. Which is better for others, which is Christian. It was very freeing to have the words to express, you know, maybe I'm not crazy. I am just more emotional than other people. I do feel all the things all day, you know. And also, I, yeah, that's me and that's who I am. But I also don't have to stay that way. Yeah, really good. Because as Suzanne Stabile says, and that's, I mean, any information that we have that we're sharing is straight from pretty much Suzanne Stabile, which is who we learned from. We went to two different like conferences with her. We literally binged her entire podcast. Yeah, I went back to try to like listen, review some things. And I, I noticed I had listened to every podcast, I think, ever. <laughs> they all said that I, you know, at all, I viewed or listened to all of them. So we were very immersed in it yes and what she says is you know the best part of you is also the worst part of you and so we learned about it we took some tests but you know after listening to Suzanne we learned that that was not the best way to determine your number it was to learn about each number and if you were still having trouble after that I think that the tip was to Try to identify with your stance, which could be withdrawing, aggressive, or dependent. Identify with that. Yeah, your motivation. You know, all of this too really depends on your level of self-awareness. And, you know, there's healthy and there's unhealthy. Each number, you know, you could have two people that are the same number, but one could be healthy and one could be unhealthy and they present differently. Their actions are going to be very different. Yeah, motivation's the same, but, you know, we all have stages where you're healthy or unhealthy and figuring that all out, too, so. What did it uh, do for you, learning about the Enneagram? How did it help you in the beginning? Yeah, I mean, I think, like, exactly what you said. I mean, it just gave language to what I already knew, but being able to be, like, I think it gives a lot of grace, too, to be, like, oh, yeah, this is how I am, and there's no reason to fight it because it just sort of is. And, but yet there are things that I never knew that I wasn't doing. Like, I don't think that I was really aware that I wasn't feeling my feelings. Like maybe I was like proud, like, cause I was like, oh, I don't really cry a lot or like, oh, I don't really, I'm not, I don't really get that upset. But if I would have never known in my life through the Enneagram that I wasn't feeling my feelings, then I would be a pretty wild person. Like avoiding and just always looking for the next thing and reframing things and not knowing how to like navigate that I don't feel my feelings. But isn't it funny, too, that if you were to look at, like, talking about emotions, that you didn't really show a lot of emotions. I showed all the emotions that, I don't know if it's society or what, but it's almost like it's, we perceive you as being better off, you know, as you have the advantage. Correct. Totally. Because you seem more stable. Than somebody who's super emotional. Doing all the things. But that doesn't, it's not true. One is not better than the other. They can both be very unhealthy. And then, yeah, like, I mean, you pretty much said, like, for you, it just helped you with, like, the whole thing of, like, figuring out, like, oh, I'm trying to fit in a box that isn't my box. Yeah, exactly. And when you let go of that, your life will change, period. It just will. And it doesn't matter what tools you use to get there. I mean, that's for anybody. But this, I don't know, system, I don't know if that's the right word for it, but it it definitely 
changed my life. And it's been around. And also, Suzanne Stabile did not, this isn't like something that she came up with. This has been around, this is like kind of ancient, right? Yeah, and it was... It's like a lineage, yeah, because she learned from Richard Rohr. But it's been around much, much longer. And it was passed down, I think, orally. I don't think there were like books or literature but this isn't like it's not like it's not new. It didn't just come out. Yeah, I don't think in the so either. I mean, I don't have the we don't have the whole um, history here. I'm sure you can Google it. It is kind of like that. You will. I will see people when I'm talking to them about it have like like an Oprah aha moment. Like when I was reading about one of them and figuring out my husband, it was like whoa. <laughs> like this is him on every level, and he even acknowledges that too. Which gives people permission to be who they are and it allows you to have more grace not only with yourself but with other people because you're like, oh, they're this number so they can't help the way that they see the world in this way. Yeah, and that we all have different motivations. I'm going to read the nine numbers and a little bit about each one. So this comes directly from The Road Back to You, which is Suzanne Stabile's book with Kara's favorite, which is uh, Ian Crone here. He's funny. He likes Ian a lot. <laughs> He's cool. All right. So yeah, we have type one, which is the perfectionist. So ethical, dedicated, and reliable. They're motivated by a desire to live the right way, improve the world, and avoid fault and blame. Um, they really want to get things done. They really want to be good. Do you know anyone's offhand that you are close to? <laughs> yeah, our father. Our father. <laughs> is the one. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he is all about the right way. Yes. Justice. Black and white thinking. Black and white. It has to be this way. Why would somebody do it that way? (laughs) That's a big one. But, you know, they have a a huge inner critic. So if you are listening to this and you're a person who has an inner critic, not everyone has one. Yeah. And I don't think it's, it's not the same as your, as everyone's inner monologue. Sure. Right. It's like a, like a little thing telling you all the time you suck, kind of. Right. I think I don't have one, but from what I've heard. Kind of, I think. I think I, that's, I mean, if you think of what a critic in your brain would be, and that's one of the identifiers. If you're questioning, I think, between, you know, I don't know if I'm a one or a six or a one and a three. If you feel that you have that, that's it. You're a one. And cause we can't describe it because we don't have one. Exactly. But if you have one, you know. If you know, you know. Type two is the helper. So warm, caring, giving. They're motivated by a need to be loved and needed and to avoid acknowledging their own needs. We have twos in our life. Are they good friends? They're great They're friends. great friends, aren't they? They're the best <laughs> friends. Both of our... Uh, they will feed you. They will feed you. They will listen. They will come do anything you want. And they want to do things with yes. you. Yes. Oh my God. They're so relational. So relational. Like they are the people that when you are out somewhere, they're meeting new friends. They're talking to people. They want to be social. Like they live on relationships. I would recommend having a two for a friend. Like a hundred percent. Yeah. They're really great. (laughs) Yeah. They're really great. And a a two woman is like, like we were talking about, like the, the ultimate mothering. Yeah, great mothers. Two male friend? Ooh, two yeah, and he's a two male. Two male that I don't really know of very many of those. But he will seek out your needs, he will meet your needs. What else as a male too? Very helpful, very fun, very love loving, a really good friend. Warm. Yes. And they, I don't know if it's all twos, but the ones that I know of think about food a lot. I think it's a way to connect. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Because food is relational. And I think, you know, where are we going to eat and when can we gather next? And when are we getting together again? We just did. I don't care if it's the next day. Yeah. Yeah, But I want to see. Yeah. We just left. Let's get on the phone now. (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. I I like twos. Type three is the performer. So success oriented, image conscious and wired for productivity they are motivated by a need or appear to be successful and avoid failure so I don't know whenever I think of threes honestly I think of and I don't know if this is everyone but I think of like yoga girl like Rachel Brathen and women on Instagram because I mean I follow mostly women but people who are always showing up on Instagram always being like presenting in a way that looks good and consistent and like I feel like they would be really good like consistent managers consistent leaders consistent yeah and I don't have any threes in my life that I'm close to 
very success oriented, image conscious, always looks great, always has it together, is always like doing the things the best way possible. So next we have type four, which is the romantic. So creative, sensitive, and moody. They are motivated by a need to be understood, experience their oversized feelings, and avoid being ordinary. As a four, Kara's a four. So how can you speak into how it feels to be a four? thought that was a great description. Definitely a lot of big feelings. I don't think it mentioned being melancholy, which is something that's kind of a funny thing. It's not, it's not depression. Being okay with being sad. And kind of, yeah, like liking it. Like being like, I'm moody. I'm. Yeah, I've got a lot of moods. I'm. So it's kind of dumb. But it's like, yeah, that. Wanting to be different. It's very complicated. Very complex. Wanting to be different, but also wanting everyone. But always feeling like you're on the outside. And not liking being different. But wanting to be different. Choosing it. Choosing to look different than everyone else. But then walking into a room and feeling upset because people view you as different. Which I've had to do a lot of work around. Because it's a very strange thing. And that's something that the Enneagram has helped me with. Because that was always brewing. But I had no way of knowing. Like naming it. Yeah. I just knew it was kind of under the surface. And that's. Hard. Yeah. Yeah. But that's kind of what it's like to be a four. And everybody would just be like, oh, you're just so emotional. Like, why can't you be unemotional? Or like, because things shift a lot in one, in 24 hours, things can shift so much for me. Because you're feeling the feeling so deeply. It's not like, oh, I kind of have a tinge of annoyance. It's like, I'm annoyed now. No, it's I'm annoyed or I'm angry and then acting on it. And then I'm crying or I'm really, really happy. And look at the trees outside. It's just so beautiful. Look at this, you know, it's, but it's, it's kind of exhausting. And you do, I have had to really work on trying to be more stable. You're all feeling, but no thinking and no doing. Or I will do because of what I felt. And now I try to do because it's it's logical. It's the right thing. You know, I'm going to have more energy at the end of the day if I go ahead and do the hard, difficult things, the tasks that have to be done rather than waiting until I feel like it because that feeling might not come and I'm still going to be tired and things aren't going to be done. So that was a little bit of that. So next we have type five, which is the investigator. So analytical, detached, and private. They are motivated by a need to gain knowledge, conserve energy, and avoid relying on others. Yeah, so my best friend Hannah, she's a five. My other friend Gina, she's a five too. They really are conserving energy. At conserving energy is really interesting. Because just a couple weeks ago, I asked Hannah about some idea I had to like launch something. And I was like, what do you think of this? And she was like, um, well, aren't you going to be really tired? Because didn't you, aren't you like doing this before? And she was like, well, I'm not really like the best person to ask because I'm always trying to like not put more like the most effort. And it comes out a lot for her. And like, you know, private meaning like, like we're best friends, but we're not, but she doesn't tell me every single moment of her like life experience or thoughts or feelings, you know? And it's not personal. No, it's nothing to do with me. And you know that now, maybe if you didn't have this knowledge, you would be like, I don't know why she doesn't share with me. We're supposed to be close, but because you know her motivation, you understand her better. Which means you all have a better relationship, which is why the Enneagram is helpful. And yeah, and they like to be, I mean, I think that she, her job really allows her to come. I'm speaking for her, but I think she would agree. I think that her job really allows her to come out of her shell because I think the idea of fives is like a bookworm hanging in their room, researching, learning, introverted. And I think that that's, she has that too, but. So I don't know any fives that well. I mean, I know fives, but I I can't speak to it like you can, working and being friends with one. So then we have a type six, which is the loyalist. So they are committed, practical, and witty. Oh, uh, yes. (laughs) They are worst case scenario thinkers who, (laughs) who are motivated by fear and the need for security. Yeah. So our mom is a six. Our friend Tina is a six. Very practical. Love their families practical women they don't like a lot of whimsy or romanticizing things that's not their thing very loyal they're not going anywhere heck no they are that is so true they really are so loyal 
And apparently, I mean, I heard once, I don't know if you heard this too, that sixes are the most popular numbers in the world, if they had to say, and then fours are the least. Yeah. So if you think about, you know, worst case scenario thinkers or, you know, fear and anxiety and things like that, you know, for a lot of humans on this earth, you know, there could be a lot of sixes, but very loyal, loving people. We need them. Ooh, we're getting to the fun one now. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Type seven, the enthusiast. So fun, spontaneous, and adventurous. They are motivated by a need to be happy, to plan uh, stimulating experiences, and to avoid pain. So yeah, that's me. I'm a seven. Um, What line that you just read really grabs you about yourself? I think like plans, I think plans, stimulating experiences, and uh, and avoid pain too, because I mean that's the motivation. Is like, eh, if that's uh, uncomfortable, I'm good. I'm I don't want to <laughs> do that. I don't want to do that. I'm good on yes. that. Or, you know, feeling your feelings laying around, feeling sad. Like for most of my life, I'm like, no, I'm good. And even now, like with the Enneagram knowledge. I feel like I can say, okay, this is a sad thing and I feel sad, but do I really feel sad? Do I take the time to do that? Or, right, or do I put things on my plate and to-do lists and plan fun trips and try to just, like, be happy? And sevens are fun. Really fun. Like, you're a blast. Yeah. You know. Unless I'm not. Unless you're not. The other funny thing about sevens is when a seven is ready to leave, you are having a family gathering and a seven is done, they're done. And I know other people who, when they are, you don't, you may not even get a real goodbye. You're out, out the door. And people are looking around saying, what did she, oh, wow, she's gone. She always does that. Yeah, this is funny. And you're probably thinking about the next thing. Yeah, I'm like, all right, well, I've, you know, gotten as much fun out of this as I can get. And it's time to go home and do something else more fun. You know, it's all about fun, which is a good thing. But but there's also this thing, too, of like when you can't, there's a big reframing part to a seven, too, of like if you can't, I can reframe or could reframe anything into a positive. And when you get to the point where you can't reframe things into a more positive thing, then that's when like shit kind of hits the fan, you know, because you're like. Yeah, what are you going to do now? Because this really does suck, and it really is probably worst case scenario, and there's no way to make it better. Yeah, so next we have the eight. So type eight, uh, the challenger. So they're commanding, (laughs) commanding, intense and confrontational. They are motivated by a need to be strong and to avoid feeling weak and vulnerable. So Uh, I've read, too, that they're motivated by, I don't know if this, by control. Mm, They like control. They like control. And I have two eights in my life that would tell you that immediately. Like my daughter would say, I'm motivated by control, clearly. And when things are out of control and they know it, they don't have a say, that's when things get bad. That's when it hits the fan. But I'll tell you what, if you are in a parking lot and you're not sure where to go to get to a venue or, you know, in another city, you need an eight. Yeah, totally. They always have the plan. They know where to go. They know what's happening. They are ready to lead. Yes. And when they're in a good place, it's it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing because they're very helpful and they want that. And when they get to do that, they're thriving. Yeah, totally. But they're not going to come to you and talk about how no. they're feeling. Unless it's anger. <laughs> they're not, unless it's anger or annoyance or, you know, kind of something that's driving them crazy. But like sad would not be a word very often used. Yeah, for sure. And I think that, I think that women eight get a really bad rep, you know, kind of how women twos get a really good rep because it's like, oh yay, they're helping. But type eight, you know, women are like, oh, she's super bitchy because she's not going to listen to your feelings or put up with your stuff. She's going to tell you how to do it and when to do it. And it's a good thing. It is a good thing because they actually do want what's best for others too, deep down. It may come across as abrasive, but I, I love women eights. I think they're fascinating, and, and I think that's really unfair. So then we have type nine, which is the peacemaker. So they're pleasant, laid back, and accommodating. They are motivated by a need to keep the peace, merge with others, and avoid conflict. Big peacemakers, your daughter is a nine. I like the word accommodating. They are very accommodating. That is, you know, if if you ask her to do something that will be helpful, she'll do it. 
But the difference too, I mean, this is kind of going off track with like a nine and a two because both sound lovely. Both are pleasant. Both are laid back. Both want what's best for, for you and everybody else. But the motivation is different because, and that's why motivation is so important because a nine is doing it because they don't want conflict. A two is doing it because they want you to love them. And that's the difference. Yes. <laughs> and that's why you could be confused. I don't know. Am I a two or am I a nine? And so you check out the motivations. You check out even, you know, the stances are different. We haven't talked about this yet, but orientation to time, how you think about past, present, or future, and those things would help you. And I think people get confused whether or not they're sixes or twos. Yeah, I think so. There are definitely numbers that are close in behavior, but very, very different in motivation. Oh, I was just going to say, that's why Suzanne Stubiel's podcast, I think, was so awesome because her podcast episodes were all people talking about their experiences as each number because you can hear all this and be like, eh, mm, I feel a little bit of all of that. But to hear people really talk about their experience, it feels really relatable to hear and be like, oh my God, like I have always felt like that. And Yeah, there was one, I don't, I think it was Ian Cron talking about maybe going into the basement and it being dark and wanting to go down there and listen to sad music. And that to me was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I've been doing that my whole life. Not going into a dark basement. But like I remember as a teenager, like driving around playing a sad song over and over again just to cry. And then going home and moving on with my life. I wouldn't have told anyone that. I wouldn't have been like, oh, I I do that and then I feel better. But that's what was happening. (laughs) And so when I heard his story, I was like, oh, yeah, I do that pretty regularly. Did you ever hear anything front like that from someone? I remember the podcast one time with that the comedian Melissa Radke, yeah, and you related to. I don't remember specifically, but there was so much of what she said that we were both like, "Oh, you do that." Annie Downs, she was a seven, and she talked a lot about her stuff yeah. at the time, which was good. Okay, so deadly sins. Let me pull them up. So deadly sin is basically. Do you okay? I got them too. If you want, either way. I have them right here. So for a one, their deadliest sin would be resentment. Number two, or let's see, yeah, two, or the helper. Their deadliest sin is pride. Three's deadliest sin is deceit. Four's deadliest sin is envy. Five's is greed. Six, fear. Seven, gluttony. Eight, lust. And nine, (laughs) sloth. And like the sloth, as I'm reading here in this book, is like, Nines fall asleep to their own priorities, personal development, and responsibility for becoming their own person, which it's just like, whatever you guys want, whatever you guys want. And they kind of get lost. It's easy for them to merge, which is viewed as a good thing. I mean, you're in a group because you're going to go along with everything. But at some point, you've lost an idea of what you want. You don't even know. How does your deadliest sin of gluttony appear in your life? Like, I'm not going to play on one trip. I'm going to plan five. <laughs> I'm not gonna yeah That's like I'm not true. gonna have one hobby That's I'm gonna true. have five I'm gonna have a uh-huh. bunch like I'm not just gonna do one thing I'm not gonna buy one bathing suit I'm gonna for vacation <laughs> I'm gonna buy yeah because that's bunch. just one that I've seen before yes. Yeah, it's true. Do you think that it comes in clusters of like right now I think that gl- your gluttony might be presenting in activity not travel right now. Uh, le- things that I'm learning. But also travel. Because, I mean, like, I had the trip to Sedona, and then I was like, oh, but we could also go to Renewal. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that one's always, I think the travel one's always there for you. But then I was reading my, yeah, but then I was reading my thing, too, and it said, a, 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 like, in this book, and it was talking about how, you know, we start things and don't finish them, which yeah. I think is pretty true. Like, I'll start things and be like, eh, this isn't really satisfying me anymore. I'm moving on. So I was listening to something today that was talking about fours do that, too. But it's, um, Suzanne was specifically saying that it's worse for fours. We have to work on completing things because you stop things because it's not fun anymore, which yeah. is fine. Yeah. But we quit because we doubt ourselves and we keep ourselves from reaching our potential. So I thought that was interesting yeah. because I have quit a lot of things. So along with deadliest sins, there are a couple of other things that are important to know about each number. Triads triads yes there's triads there's you know stress and security there's like all these different things and so the enneagram is 
a lot. And like we learned about it in 2019 and we still have things that we can implement. But some of our, some of our favorite things I think is when we learned about center of intelligence and orientation to time, like those were, those are really big and we can explain those a little bit. But again, this is like, I mean, kind of a lot. And if you've never heard about the Enneagram before, you know, it could be whatever, but basically the thought is that we have, um, you know, different centers of intelligence. So thinking, feeling, and doing, and you know, there's nine numbers. So those nine numbers can be broken up into groups of threes, which they are. And so some people have a, some numbers are, um, you know, thinking dominant, others are feeling dominant and others are doing dominant, which comes up. If you have a dominant one, then you're going to have one that is repressed. So ones are doing dominant and then they use feelings to support their doing, but their thinking is repressed. So, you know, if you're a person who's a perfectionist and you, there's also childhood messages as well. And so for a one, your childhood message is it's not okay to make mistakes. Then you're probably, you know, thinking dominant as well. And then twos are going to be feeling dominant. So you take in and your center of intelligence is how you take in information. So when somebody presents something to you, are you saying, this is how I think about this? What am I going to do about this? Or how do I feel about this? And so, or another way I've heard it described is, was that's good, is when you walk into a room, what do you first, do you think first? Do you feel first? Do you do something first? And if you're paying attention and you know yourself fairly well, I think it's pretty easy to know. Because like as a four, I feel very, feel the room. And you can even catch yourself like in what you say. Because I always say, I think, do you say I feel like, or I think, I say both. So then what supports the feeling in a two, which is the helper, is doing. And so they're thinking repressed. So they're feeling and they're doing. Feeling and they're doing, feeling and they're doing. They're feeling for other people a lot. So it's going to look like in a two, a pretty obvious one would be like, I I feel so bad for them. I have to do something. Yeah, I have to go be there for them or do something for them. I just feel so bad for them. I'm going to bring them something. Yeah. But the problem with twos is that sometimes people didn't ask. Oh, true. Yeah. People didn't ask or you're doing, you're doing things that, um, as Suzanne would say, aren't yours to do. And their childhood message is in childhood messages, basically just like this kind of subconscious message that lives within you is kind of how I would describe it. How would you describe it? Or maybe what you felt like was told to you when you were younger, what you interpreted as being told to you as you and you're younger. Yeah, I think both. I think it's subconscious. I think you don't even realize it's there. Yeah, totally. So theirs is, it's not okay to have your own needs as a two. So that would be, you know, how they look at everybody else's needs. And then the, what you would replace that with is that you are wanted and loved just for being you. And not what you do for everybody else. And then threes are feeling dominant. So they take in information with how they feel. This one's kind of funky though, because they're also feeling repressed. So they take things in like, oh, I feel bad for them. But then they also kind of ignore their feelings in order to think and do something else. It's kind of how I would describe it. Yeah, I think that's a great way of describing it. Like, oh, I feel so bad for them, but yet I'm going to disregard my feelings so that I can look good and be Mm -hmm. a performer and think and do and also do something yeah and so it does look a little bit like a two sometimes and so their childhood message is it's not okay to have your own feelings and identity and just interesting and then they replace that with you are loved and valued for being you that's a that's a tricky one I think Mm -hmm. for me to understand not okay to have your own feelings and identity yeah I'd love to talk to a, a three on how that shows up I, I would too. That That's very interesting. And then a four is um, they take in things with feeling as we talked about and their support center is thinking and um, their repressed is doing. So they can just be laying around feeling and thinking and feeling and thinking and feeling and doing. thinking and not doing anything. Yeah. That yeah. happens sometimes. And I, I would use the word wallow. A lot of well, waller. <laughs> a lot of waller around on that one. <laughs> yeah. If you're not careful, you're going to end up wallering. And uh, nothing's going to get done. Yeah. Or you go and do something, but it's not actually what you should be doing that would be productive. And theirs is their childhood messages. It's not okay to be too much or not enough, which is it's kind of crazy because that's kind of what you were saying about like walking into somewhere and being unique, but then wanting to be 
accepted. Yes. Um, yes. And they would replace that message with you are seen and loved for who you are. And then we have fives, which they're thinking dominant. So they're thinking, researching, doing all those things. And then feeling is their support um, with that, but they're not doing anything necessarily. Is there repressed? And their childhood message is it's not okay to be comfortable in the world. Yeah. And um, they that would be replaced with your needs are not a problem. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. They would make themselves maybe smaller. Yeah. Or like, or like the hoarding thing. So they're always trying to like hoard their resources because they're afraid of maybe being uncomfortable or we're living that. Yeah. Or yeah because not, I, I can't. I don't know. Right doesn't resonate with me again this is why Suzanne had people on that were and and just because you know this about someone you really don't fully understand the way they see things you just know that it's different and you have a little glimpse but it's not you know the full picture and then a six is thinking dominant and then their support system is doing and feeling because they're also thinking repressed So for a six, I think that it would look like they're thinking all the time about the worst case scenario, but it's not the correct, like it's not really what they should be thinking about. They're not clearly thinking. Because those things sometimes don't even happen. The worst case probably rarely shows up. So you've kind of wasted your thoughts on this thing that hasn't happened yet. So it isn't productive. Their childhood message is it's not okay to trust yourself. And um, they would replace that with you are safe and secure. I think that something I heard recently was that they know the answer, but they need to hear it from someone outside themselves. Because they don't trust themselves to know that that's what it is. Yeah. It's in them, but they need to hear it from someone else. They almost need to be um, validated to then move forward. Yeah. And then you also think of like, well, this is just a side tangent too. If like you think about if that's the most popular number in like the world and there's a lot of like women sixes that can't trust themselves to make decisions. Because they've been told they can't trust themselves. Right. right. And then they right. also have that within them as well. Like mm-hmm. that's got to be hard, hard. Really hard. To really do the, step into yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Especially yeah. if you're, you know, if you have a lot of fear and, and all that. Yeah. Which they, that yeah. Which is our deadly sin. And then so sevens, their preferred dominant center. So their main is thinking and then their support center is doing and then repressed is feeling. Yeah. And you talked about that already. I'm thinking, I'm doing, I'm thinking, and then I do it, but feelings you can ignore. But, and that's kind of funny because that's with everybody too. Like even if thinking and doing is your repressed center, you can't do what you want to do or think what you want to think or feel like whatever, if you don't have that, like. If you're just like, if you're just feeling and doing all the time, you're going to keep hitting a roadblock with any of these. If you're thinking, if you're, um, what's the other one? Like, well, if you're, if you're thinking and feeling and thinking and feeling, okay, nothing's going to get done. Exactly. So we have to access these repressed centers to be able to, yeah. Because it's out of balance. All three need to be working at the same level, which is why it's important to know about these things. That's, it's not just the description of why you do things and, oh, I read this and this is what I am. Okay, now, how is this going to help you be the best version of yourself? The sevens uh, childhood message is it's not okay to depend on others for anything, which needs to be replaced with you will be taken care of. And then eights, they are doing dominant. Thinking is their support center and they are feeling repressed as well. And so their childhood message is it's not okay to be vulnerable or to trust anyone. And then they're, they need to replace that with you will not be betrayed. Yeah, because eights do have some stuff around trust. I heard Suzanne say once what that, a, that an eight can name five people they trust, maybe. I think it was less than five. And I think that's true. Trust is a big issue. And then nines are doing um, dominant and then they are also doing repressed. So meaning they see that something needs to be done, but they don't think that it's theirs to do is kind of the best way that I've heard it described. And so then they use thinking and feeling to support their doing. And their childhood message is it's not okay to assert yourself, which needs to be replaced with your presence matters. Yeah. And I've heard it also described as they're doing things all the time, but it's not what needs to be done. Mm, That's very true. There's a lot of movement. It doesn't mean that they're lying on the couch, not doing anything. I mean, the nines I know are very busy. There are some things though, that may be more important that aren't being done. I think it's hard for them to stay on task of that too. 
you know. And I, I can relate to that too. Yeah. As being doing repressed. But I would, yes. Yeah. Right. And, it, and it's also been really good also to know that, oh, okay, that's the language for that. Um, because I really always struggled with thinking I was lazy. But really, you're just doing repressed. So fours, fives, and nines are all doing repressed. And then sevens, eights, and threes are all feeling repressed. And then ones, twos, and sixes are all thinking repressed. And there's also this whole thing too with orientation to time, which is fascinating. And and we can give examples of how that shows up, but threes, sevens, and eights are all future orientated to time or future oriented. So they're always thinking about the future. Yeah, it's not that they never think of the past, but it's, if you were to, and the way that I approached my husband is, I was like, so do you think more of the future, the past, or the present? And his knee-jerk response was future. And I knew it just immediately that mine was the past. And how that presents itself in a relationship, I don't know if you, yeah, so nines, fours, and fives are past-oriented. Did you already say that? Yeah, future-oriented is three, sevens, and eights. Four, fives, and nines are past, and then one, twos, and sixes are present. So there's that whole bit. But yeah, how it can show up in a relationship. So, you know, if you're in a relationship, so you, Kara, are past-oriented or into time, and then Josh is thinking future. So then how can that, I mean, I can obviously. Yeah, well, it comes up too in your relationship. Yeah, because I'm future. We're opposite. Because Kara and I really are kind of yin, yin and yang, really. Like, I'm trying to have a good time. She's trying to be sad. I'm trying to not feel. She's trying to feel. I'm thinking of the future. She think of the past. Yeah, so it, it is. Can and, create and balance. She's in the aggressive stance. I'm in the withdrawn, which is a funny thing too. Not this isn't related to orientation at time, but if the four of us go to somewhere like a concert, I think this is a really good example. It is. So me, Kara, Billy, Josh, at a concert, and it's very crowded, and there's nowhere to stand. And Josh, being in the aggressive stance, being an eight, is not letting people through. He's just not. I mean, he even like told, like said something to a lady about, yeah, hi, sorry, no, you're not getting through. She was budding. And I wanted to die. I was so embarrassed. I was like, God, he is being so rude to these people. How would I, I mean, I wouldn't want to be talked to that way. Blah, blah, blah. That's going on in my head. At the same time, Lauren and Billy are there. Lauren's in the aggressive stance. Billy's in the withdrawn stance, like me. He is letting a person beside him take over, completely take over his personal space. Like, completely. This person had his arm around him. Billy didn't want it. And Lauren has, like, smoke coming out of her ears, so mad that this is going on, that this this other person is taking over Billy's space and she's taking this same attitude as Josh of like, sorry, don't care. Yeah. This is where, like, we're here. Get out of here. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Because this is our space. This is what we're doing. Yeah. yeah. And I think both Billy and I were just like, oh, let's just be polite. Okay. We don't want any trouble. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Whatever. And then these other two people are going ballistic. Yeah. Would that be be your interpretation of what was going on? I think that's really good. And I think, yeah, because I think that Josh and I are just like, what do you mean? We're standing here. This is our space. (laughs) We're allowed to be here. This is our concert, which we pay tickets for. Like, and there's a difference too between rude and aggressive. You know, I wouldn't say that either, but in Billy, but Billy and Kara think that we're being rude and that we're being mean and that we're being like, uh, you know, whatever, like where you're being assertive, you're being clear. You have boundaries. This is what we're doing. I mean, meanwhile, there's a man just like with his arm around Billy whispering into his ear. <laughs> yeah. And Billy like, doesn't know saying what to do. nonsense. Yeah. And won't say anything because he's a nine and hates confrontation. And, and Josh is also, his blood is boiling. And I, there's still this part of me that doesn't want to cause problems with the weird guy that has his arm around Billy. Right. Very weird. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but with the Enneagram, like, yeah, that's a perfect example of like, I could be mad and sometimes I am like I could be mad at Billy because I'm like why are you letting this person in why are you acting like I'm being rude why is this happening whereas he's being like you know why are you being so aggressive it's not that deep like this is you're being a certain way because he's avoiding it and he's afraid that I'm going to make him have confrontation too which he doesn't want and I don't know with me I'm not I don't know what mine is I just know that I'm withdrawn and I don't I'm not going to be forward but that's it I don't I'm not I guess I'm afraid of the conflict too. But with orientation to time, it would present itself kind of the same way because I'm past oriented. Josh is future oriented. 
So you have a fight. This is, I think, just across the board with any couple that has this orientation of time. The past-oriented person is going to say, you always do this and bring up stuff from 10 years ago because I'm still back there and I'm still, I can give you a detailed account of what happened back then. This person has moved on, the future thinking person. They don't care. They're only thinking of in the future. And they're saying, next time, do this. And I'm still in the past. And that's how that kind of presents itself, I think. I would think for most couples. Or planning, just logistics. You know, I'm, I'm always basing what's happening right now off of what has happened in the past. That's how I um, make my way. You know, if this happened before... Either I can do it differently or this is how I'm assuming it's going to be. Whereas like me, if I'm in the future, I'm being like, I don't even really think about the past. Like the past is the past. Like I'm making a new way forward and let's keep going. I don't really. And that's where the planning comes in too, I think. That's why orientation of time is is very fascinating. And it's fascinating too in your other friendships with parenting, what, knowing that about my kids. One of them will have an altercation and move on and that's it. It's done. One who might have the, the thinking in the past. And that one has the future orientation of time. Yeah. So she, we do that. We fight. We move on. It's over. And I, as, since I've done work too, I can move on from it much quicker. I'm kind of unfazed. Maybe a couple of years ago, I might have been like, well, remember that time you did this? And it was, but now I'm just like, no, I understand her. She's not angry anymore. And we're moving on. But then there are other people in my family who are past oriented like me and also takes them some time to catch up. There might be an altercation or a little conflict and two or three days later, there's still some anger there because it takes a while to process what had happened. That's true too, because if you are a future person, I think you're a pretty like fast thinker. You're ready to keep going. Don't care. Let's go. Whereas if you're in the past orientation of time, it's slower and you're like, okay, well let me wrap that up and keep going. Yeah. This thing happens yeah. two days later. I'm still there yeah. saying we need to talk about this thing that happened. Josh is it's done. Already gone. He doesn't yeah. think about it. Same thing with done. kids. Um, anybody like that. So and then I, I'm not real super familiar with people. How that presents, though, present. with present. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Present. I don't know. I'd love to talk to a, a six about what it or one six or a one. Because I don't really understand that. And I'm not going to pretend that I do. Yeah. Or a two. I'd have to ask Caroline, like, what it feels like to be, um, I don't know. I would I would only be speaking to her experience of being present. But I do think that she's very, like, this is what is happening right now. This is the current thing in my life. And I'm enthralled with what it looks like. But I don't know. I'd have to ask about yeah. that. Because also too, like your Enneagram numbers is kind of like your, isn't the, isn't it said like your Enneagram is like your personality, but your personality isn't your soul self, isn't your essence. And so the work that you're doing is to get back to your essence. And I don't fully understand that sometimes. Every once in a while, I'll have a moment where I feel that I am my purest, truest self. Right. Like your soul self, your essence, whatever that looks like. Yeah, spirit. Uh, it can be sometimes listening to music or outside usually. Then there's all these other things that we've put on uh, from childhood that we put on to cope, to make our way, to, to help us get through. And some of those need shed would be the best way that I can. Because at some point I thought to myself, and you know, maybe I'm just having this thought right now, maybe in order to stop being envious I decided to be unique or something you know what I mean maybe that's when I put that on but it's just something from our ego I guess like what do you think that you do to make your way I mean I know you reframe I remember specifically one time um that we were like in class and we were voting for like class like the class president or it was like class like leader or something I don't know and I didn't get it and I was really upset and I went home and I like felt all weird but then I was like laying in my bed and then I got up and I was like I'm gonna call the person that won and I'm gonna tell them like that I'm really happy for them and then this is gonna be like I'm that this is cool like that I like this for them that's so See, and what I would have done, because I didn't make things, I tried out for a lot of things and didn't make them in middle school, I would have just started crying and then cried probably for the next 24 hours off and on. 
and told myself yeah. <laughs> that you're not good at anything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and not really be depressed, but that's what then I'd feel better, you know, within the next twenty four hours. Yeah. That's funny that you did that though, and that you remember yeah. doing that. And I that. remember mom being like, I'm not giving you the phone. Like you're not calling that. <laughs> so she knew yeah. that yeah, I, she knew that I was pissed and I was upset and that you were gonna call the person that won. Yeah. And I was like, No, no, no. I, I like was like, I'm gonna get over it and I'm gonna call them and tell them that like I'm okay and, and I don't and then she let you do it? No. She was like, I'm not giving you the phone. Like, you're not going to call them. You're sitting here upset about this. Why are you now going to act like you're not? Like, what are you doing? It was probably a good call. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it would have been weird. <laughs> yeah. I know. I love that she didn't let you do it. Yeah. It's so weird. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, I feel like we covered a lot. I think, yeah, you can't be two numbers. Um, you're one number. And again, it comes back to your motivation. And if you want to take a test, that's totally fine, especially if you're super self-aware. But I would encourage you to start to just go online maybe and read a little bit about each of the numbers and start kind of narrowing down which ones you definitely aren't. Yeah. And I think that that what's good about the Enneagram versus the like the other personality tests is that it really can help you on a spiritual level. Mm, true. Yes. Like, that's a good point. Once you know it, there are all these other tools in place that can help you grow. Um, and I think that some other tests that you take are helpful maybe with the, your coworkers or something, but I don't know that you can do the inner work. Yeah. That you can do with this. I would agree. And like, we literally just scratched like the smallest surface. Like there's so much we could talk about. There's so much that it, is involved and like again we learned about this in 2019 and there's still stuff that comes back up and it's so good to know yeah I mean I'll say one more thing I read you can read something about your number and you can say oh that's true about me that's true and then kind of forget about it and last year I noticed I had read somewhere that fours daydream we're kind of out of it a lot kind of in our imaginations and last year I noticed at work I was off and just completely daydreaming a lot. <laughs> and I'm like, I really do do that. Right. And I need to rein that in. And now that I notice it, pull myself back together. You know, pull, I don't know. It's just weird. Or you, you know, you'll read it and it'll come back up to you in your daily life. Oh, I, I do know that about myself. But then what are you going to do? You have to do something with it. You do have to do something with it. Um, and also everybody does it, of course, too. We already mentioned this a little bit too, but don't go typing other people like, you don't know their life. Like, yes, in theory, like, I can look at somebody and talk to them and I have a, a rough idea in my brain of what I think they probably, you know, would say that their number is, but that's, I'm not them. And, you know, you don't want to go around and be like, oh my God, you're of this and you're of that and you're of this. It's very, like, personal. Oh, yeah, don't. It is. And people don't want to feel like they're being analyzed all the time. And so when we mentioned the people that we mentioned, they've done some work and they know we didn't come to that conclusion for them based on their actions. This is, they've done the work. Yeah. Well, this was fun. fun. Yeah, this was good. Um, Road back to you. If you guys ever want to read any um, books, uh, Suzanne Stiebel, the Enneagram Journey podcast. I mean, we should be getting yeah. an affiliate link <laughs> from Suzanne, but um, <laughs> we're not. Shout out to Joel. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Shout out to Joel. <laughs> but yeah. All right. Thanks for coming to the yeah, podcast. Thank you. Thank you.